Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Now, if you have your Bibles, open with me to John chapter 10. And I wanted to turn our attention to this passage because when I used to speak at um, local churches in the area where, when I was living in the Boston area, And I'd go out to local congregations, local churches, and they would ask me, Hey, Gary, tell us a little bit about Hanukkah. I often would start by drawing people's attention to John chapter 10. And I would begin my presentation by saying, you know, Hanukkah is one of those festivals about which most Jewish people know something. You know, a lot of the Jewish holidays, Jewish people don't understand them. They don't know why they go through the variety of traditions they go through. That was true for me, being raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, and we had observed all the traditions. They never were really explained to me. Or maybe they were explained, but I wasn't listening very well. That's possible, too. But the point is that for most Jewish people, they may arrive at a synagogue and they may see what's happening and not really understand what is going on, why it is going on, when it is going on, let alone what they are saying when Hebrew is being spoken. So when I would come to a local church, I would say, you know, the interesting thing is that in the case of the Jewish community, this is one holiday the Jewish people know a good deal about. But on the other hand, This is one of those holidays, those things may be changing, but one of those holidays where in the local churches, Christians do not know much about Hanukkah. They know the menorah. They know that they're going to light eight candles, well, nine, depending on how you count them. They know that they are sort of being discriminated against because they don't get eight presents but only maybe one or a few on Christmas Eve, you know. So they know that sort of dilemma about Hanukkah. But the interesting thing to me is, as I would share with these churches is, while many Jewish people know a good deal about Hanukkah, it is nowhere spoken of in the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, Daniel the prophet, chapter 8, chapter 11, and we had studied through the book of Daniel a few months ago. But in chapter 8 and chapter 11, Daniel uh, gives certain predictions about world history. And as he gives predictions about world history, he does cover those events that have to do with Hanukkah. But nowhere is the term Hanukkah used, and nowhere are the specific concerns of Hanukkah raised in the Hebrew Scriptures. Well, it stands to reason the last book of the Old Testament is the prophet Malachi, and it's written about 400 years before the time of Messiah. 
The events associated with Hanukkah happened about 175 years before the time of Messiah. So the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures was already written uh, a few hundred years before the events of Hanukkah transpire. So it stands to reason it wouldn't be found in the Old Testament. But then I would say to my Christian friends in the church I'd be visiting at, I'd say, but on the other hand, Hanukkah is clearly mentioned in the New Testament, in the Brit HaDashah. And so if anyone ought to know about Hanukkah, it ought to be Christians because, well, they're reading the New Testament all the time. Jewish people aren't, so it's not there. And so why is it that in many of our churches, individuals don't have a clue about Hanukkah? And Hanukkah in the New Testament is not found in one of those obscure books that we don't read that often, you know, like Second Peter, or maybe like the book of Yaakov, the book of James, you know, although for some people those are important books. But it's right in the Gospel of John that everybody states they know a good deal about. And it's right in the heart of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and it's connected with one of Yeshua's most poignant messages where he speaks of himself as the Good Shepherd. So you would think that right here, the church at large would home in and say, gee, we need to understand what's going on here because it's all so clearly laid out with regard to Hanukkah. But as I've gone out to many churches, maybe you, could, you would find the same experience, I found that many Christians out there really don't understand Hanukkah and don't understand or see its relevance to the life of Messiah. So I want to take a step back this morning, knowing that perhaps we'd have some visitors here today, some guests here, that we'd have opportunity to reflect on this a little bit. And also because people who come to Beth Ariel on a regular basis, perhaps you too are wondering, gee, how does it fit in with the life of Messiah? So take a look in John chapter 10 and beginning at verse 22. John writes, he says, then came the feast of dedication. Well, dedication is Hanukkah. In my Bible, it has a little b. And then as I look to the bottom of the page, verse 22, it says, that is Hanukkah. And maybe you see a note like that in your own Bibles. So then came the Feast of Dedication. And the reason why we have the translation dedication is because the word Hanukkah means to dedicate. So it's the festival with respect to the rededicating or the dedication of something. Now, in order to understand that, we have to go back into history. But before we do that, let's just look further in John's Gospel. He says, Then came the Feast of Dedication, the festival of Hanukkah. And it's at Jerusalem that these events that, Messiah, that John is going to write about occur. He tells us it was winter, and Yeshua was in the temple area walking in Solomon's porch or Solomon's colonnade. So let me just stop there. Now, the events of Hanukkah have to do with what transpired about 175 years before the time of Messiah. At that point in time, the Greek Empire has waned. It has begun to disintegrate. And Alexander's empire was divided among his four major generals, two of whom are most important to us with regard to Hanukkah. One was his general Seleucus. And Seleucus inherited, he claimed for himself, that region of Alexander's empire that is located in what is today Syria. And so that region north of Israel that Alexander had conquered upon his death, 
his general Seleucus claimed that territory for himself. In addition to the general Seleucus, there was another general who was the general Ptolemy. And Ptolemy claimed the southern portion of Alexander's empire for himself. That southern entity was North Africa and homed in on Egypt. So from the time of Alexander's death, around 320, and up to 175, the time of the story of Hanukkah, the events of Hanukkah, there was ongoing clashes between Seleucus and his descendants and Ptolemy and his descendants. Everybody with me? So there was ongoing conflict between the king of the north, Seleucus, and his descendants, and the king of the south, Ptolemy, and his descendants. And both of these entities are vying for more and more control of the Middle East. And lying between these two great entities were the Jewish people in the land of Israel. So as these forces would march north and south, the people that took the brunt of these conflicts were the Jewish people. Now, around 170, 175, a descendant of Seleucus, whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus the Glorious One. Epiphanes was a name he gave himself because he was a rather humble man. And so by calling himself Antiochus the Magnificent, Antiochus the Glorious One, he separated himself from any others that might use the same name. Now the Jewish people called him not Antiochus Epiphanes, but Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the madman. And Antiochus moved his army south against one of Ptolemy's descendants. He camped in what is today the Sinai Peninsula, just on the other side of what is today the Gaza Strip and the Israeli border. And Ptolemy marshaled his forces across the Sinai and was camped out across from him. What Antiochus of the north did not know was that at this particular point in time, Ptolemy had made an alliance with this small but growing empire of Rome. Rome, of course, is very concerned with Egypt because that is Rome's breadbasket. All of their wheat, all of their food sources are going to come from North Africa shipped across the Mediterranean. So they do not want to lose control over North Africa. So they made an alliance with Ptolemy. And while Ptolemy's forces were lined up against Antiochus' forces, it was a Roman messenger that came out from the camp of Ptolemy, crossed the sands, and came before Antiochus' epiphanies. He asked Antiochus Epiphanes what his intentions were in the present conflict. Antiochus said, we'll have to see. The Roman messenger then drew his sword and drew a circle in the sand around him and told Antiochus he had until he moved out of that circle to tell Rome what his intentions were or to face the wrath of a united Egyptian Roman force. With that, Antiochus now knew 
that he could not wage a war against these two united forces and decided to retreat back to Syria. But Antiochus is not a happy man. So as he moves his forces from the Sinai up through Israel, when he comes into Israel, he then takes out his anger and vengeance upon the Jewish people. He begins, first of all, to enforce Hellenistic rights upon the Jews. No longer are they to observe the law of Moses. No longer are they to observe the laws of Moses, such as not eating unclean animals, not circumcising uh, their, their male children at eight days old. No longer can they observe God's commandments. Antiochus brought his armies into Jerusalem, and then he began to pillage the temple. He set up a statue of the god Zeus, the head of the Greek pantheon, in the very Holy of Holies, thereby setting up what Daniel said he would do, the abomination that makes desolate. He then took a pig, and he sacrificed it to the god Zeus on the holy altar in the temple, thereby desecrating the altar. He then commissioned the priests to go throughout the land of Israel, from village to village to village, to call out the elders of those villages to sacrifice pigs to the god Zeus, showing their allegiance and subservience to Antiochus and the Greco-Syrian Empire. When these Greek forces moved about 20 miles northwest into a village known as Modin, they faced the elder whose name was Mattathias. And when those Roman soldiers came in and demanded that Mattathias sacrifice a pig to the god Zeus, he took out his knife and along with his five sons and those who joined with them, they fought against this Egyptian force, pushed them out of the village of Modin and began a seven-year campaign against the Greco-Roman forces of Antiochus Epiphanes. Over seven years, these Israeli forces fought against Antiochus. They came to be called Maccabees, which means a hammer or that which acts with force. As these Israeli, these Jewish troops in a guerrilla style warfare just picked off the various Greek forces as best they could and eventually drove them out of the land of Israel. What's interesting about Hanukkah, as I was thinking about this, it is the only festival that Israel celebrates, or ancient festival, modern things have changed, but the only festival that Israel celebrates that celebrates the defense of their land. The Passover celebrates the exodus from Egypt. Purim celebrates endurance from, from Persia. The festivals of, of uh, Pentecost or Shavuot and uh, the Feast of, of uh, First Fruits is, celebrates the wilderness wandering. Everything has to do with outside the land except Hanukkah. It is a celebration of the defense of Israel's homeland. Now, in our modern era, we celebrate the conquest in the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War and uh, the acquisition, the acquiring again of Jerusalem, etc. But up until the modern era, 
This is the only festival that celebrates the defense of their homeland and the uh, attaining of it once again. So after seven years, the Greek forces were pushed out of the land of Israel, and now the Jewish people were faced with a desecrated temple. What do we do with it? How do we re-consecrate it to the worship of God? First thing they did was to remove the statue of Zeus from the Holy of Holies. And they rededicated the Holy of Holies and the holy place back unto God. When they dedicated the holy place, there are three major objects in the holy place of the temple. One is the table of showbread, a table that was overlaid with gold. Twelve loaves of bread were laid upon it, and it symbolized God's continuing provision among the twelve tribes, the people of Israel. This is why when Messiah teaches us to pray, he says for us to ask the Lord to give us our daily bread, what we need. And so the twelve loaves of bread were changed every day, beseeching God, as it were, in prayer that he would meet our needs day by day. In the center of the holy place was another altar, and that was the altar of incense. Every morning and evening, a given priest was assigned the task of offering up the incense to the Lord. And as the smoke rose in the holy place, it symbolized the prayers of the Jewish people who would come into the temple to worship God, not only weekly, but on a daily basis as their prayers would rise up into the very presence of God. And then on the opposite side was a seven-branched menorah, much like we have here on our platform. It was much bigger, of course, and it was an oil-lit menorah, but it was to be kept perpetually lit, signifying God's dwelling presence, the light of his countenance and presence upon his people day by day and moment by moment. The menorah was extinguished for these seven years. Now, by this point in Israel's history, Oil that was used to light the holy menorah could not be any kind of oil that would be used for other daily occasions. It had to be oil that was manufactured according to the Levitical priesthood and standards, and it would take them eight days to manufacture this oil for the menorah. When they searched the temple compound, we are told, that they found a cruise of oil that would last one day. So the Jewish leaders had to decide, do we wait seven days while we continue to remanufacture oil, and on the eighth day we'll have enough oil, and we'll light the menorah with the one cruise we found, and then from there on in we can keep the menorah lit because we've manufactured enough oil to meet that need? Or do we go ahead and light the menorah now that we have the oil, knowing that the menorah will be extinguished and we'll have to wait another seven days? The Jewish leaders decided, let's light the menorah now, and we'll just wait on manufacturing the oil. So they lit the menorah, and the miracle of Hanukkah is that for the next eight days, the menorah stayed lit, giving the priests enough time to manufacture the oil according to their tradition. Now that's a story, it's a tradition. We don't know if it's true or false for that matter. Most likely false, in my opinion but we don't know for sure. I think the story is meant to buttress the Levitical priesthood and the religious establishment. But that's a whole nother story. 
What is celebrated nonetheless is that God performed a greater miracle in that he enabled the Jewish people to conquer the Syrians and to take back uh, their land. So because of the story of the menorah remaining lit, because of the reality of history that Israel, this small nation, was able to destroy the Greco-Syrian forces, Hanukkah becomes a festival in which we are to remember the miracles of God. And that's why when you light the menorah, one of the prayers is, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who did perform miracles for our fathers at this season. And so we're to be reminded of the miraculous. And according to the rabbis, when you light the menorah, you're not permitted to use the flame of the candles for any purpose other than to reflect upon, to gaze upon, and to think about the miracles God has performed. As the flame sort of dances on the wick, it's sort of miraculous how that flame is there. We're to be reminded of the miracles that God has performed for our fathers in days of old and at this season. So it's a, it's a festival to reflect on miracles. But they not only had to deal with the holy place and the holy of holies, they had an altar that had been desecrated. And so the Jewish leaders had to decide, can we now sacrifice clean animals upon this desecrated altar? And the Jewish leaders decided that's too difficult a question to answer. What's interesting, by the way, thinking about difficulty of answering questions, is the need for wisdom. And in the Torah portion that is read this Saturday, it's the portion that deals with the Pharaoh having a dream and needing wisdom to interpret the dream. And God provides Joseph with the wisdom to interpret the dream that satisfies the anxiety of Pharaoh and also sets in motion the preservation of Egypt and all the surrounding nations. The portion from the prophets that's read today is taken from 1 Kings. And it's the story of when another king has a dream. This king is Solomon. And Solomon, when he dreams, God appears to him and asks Solomon to ask for anything he would want. And Solomon asks for wisdom, that he might reign well. So the story in the book of Genesis the Pharaoh's looking for wisdom in understanding the dream. In the king's passage, Solomon is looking for wisdom. And what's interesting about that for me is that in Daniel chapter 11, where it talks about the Maccabees, it says, and the people who know their God will act wisely and will do exploits. I just thought it was kind of interesting how wisdom shows up in all of these spheres this particular Shabbat. Wisdom is a good thing to acquire. And the rabbis are trying to figure out what do we do with the altar stones? And when the wisdom is lacking, the best thing to punt to is, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And so the Jewish leader said, we'll dismantle the altar stone by stone, store them in a secret place, and when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us what to do with the altar stones. 
And so not only is Hanukkah a festival in which we think about miracles, it's a festival in which we look for the coming of Messiah. It's a festival that has within its context that of a messianic hope. And so with the relighting of the menorah, the rebuilding of the altar, now the Jewish people were able to rededicate the temple back to God. And thus Hanukkah is the festival of the rededicating of the temple after its desecration by the Greco-Syrians. So the third theme of Hanukkah, the first is, what's the first? See, this is just like my students back east. You know, I do this thing and they say, okay, so what is the first theme? No, 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 no. The first theme is miracles. That on Hanukkah, we reflect upon the miracles that God has done. You didn't know this was going to be a quiz, did you? But it's a group quiz. It's a group quiz. And the second theme is the messianic hope. Maybe I should use PowerPoints. Is the messianic hope, the coming of Messiah. Tell us what to do with the altar stones. And the third theme of Hanukkah is dedication. Hanukkah means to dedicate. And it's the rededicating of the temple back to God. Now with that, those thoughts in mind, look at John chapter 10. The text tells us that the feast of, of Hanukkah arrived. Notice where the action takes place, at Jerusalem. That's where the center of the action is with regard to the historic realities of Hanukkah. It's the rededicating of the temple, which is in Jerusalem. Notice, secondly, it is winter. Hanukkah is celebrated on the 25th month of Kislev. Kislev is what is comparable to our December. It's the winter time of the year, even as we celebrate it now during the winter season. This year it's strange because Israel, or the Jewish calendar, is a lunar calendar. Our calendar, or the Western calendar, is a Greco, is a Gregorian calendar. The Gregorian calendar is a solar calendar. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. So with a solar calendar, you've got 12 months and you've got all kinds of days. Some months have 30 days, some have 31, one has 28, except when there's a leap year, then you add a day, so every four years there's 29. It's a very complicated system. But the Jewish calendar, it's really simple. 12 months, 30 days. That's it. So you have 360 days. We just lost five and a half days. So how do we regain them? Seven times in 19 years, a leap month is added to the 12th month of the lunar calendar. So one, seven times in 19 years, you're, we're going to have 13 months. And so the last month, which is Adar, following Kislev, is on a leap year, there'll be Adar, and then we don't want to make things complicated. The 13th month is Adar 2. It's very simple. Adar and Adar 2. So seven times in 19 years. And you say, well, how often of those seven times? Well, that just depends on the rabbis. So in Israel, they say, do you want to do one this year? Let's do it. So they, they choose a leap year, you know? There's no, like, mathematical thing. Everything's easy. This year's a leap year, so what we have is Hanukkah's falling extremely early. So it's the winter time, 
And that's what John tells us. But he doesn't want us to miss this because he says, and Yeshua was in the temple area. Everything's pointing to the centrality of the events of Hanukkah. And look what happens. The Jewish people gather around him. And what do they ask? How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now that is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, how often is Yeshua ever asked, are you really the Messiah? <laughs> you know, if we were living in that time and I happen to see him, I'd say, Yeshua, let's just, are you the Messiah? <laughs> you know, let's just talk straight. You know, in Jersey, we don't, you know, pull punches. Are you the Messiah or not? Just tell us, you know, and we'll get on with it. <laughs> but you don't see that happen very much in the, in the Brit Hadashah, do you? This is the one time you have the woman at the well who says, we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And Yeshua says, I who speak to you am he. The only other instance I can think of is when Messiah is on trial and the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God, are you the Messiah? And Yeshua says, yes, I am. And the next time you see me, I'm coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. The only other instance I can think of is right here. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And look at Yeshua's response. Remember, what's one of the themes of the Messianic hope? Or what's one of the themes of Hanukkah? The Messianic hope. And so what does John record for us? They're asking him about the messianic hope on Hanukkah. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. How would he tell them plainly? Why are they waiting for the Messiah to come? Tell us what to do with the altar stones. So he very easily demonstrates the Messiah. Tell us what to do with the altar stones. But Messiah's response is very telling. He says, I've told you. I'm the Messiah. Repeatedly, plainly. How so? Look what he says. By the miracles that I have done. That's our second theme of Hanukkah. He says, the miracles. Pay attention to the things that I am doing because they are meant to authenticate my claim that I am the Messiah of Israel. Now, he's not just talking, I don't think, about miracles that are just wild miracles. You know, the multiplying of the loaves and the fishes, the walking on water kinds of stuff. I think Yeshua is thinking about those miracles that particularly for the Jewish people demonstrated he was the Messiah. For example, the healing of a leper was understood by the rabbis to be a particularly messianic miracle. Why? Because in the Mosaic law, there are very rigid laws requiring what one is to do when they're healed of leprosy. And in the entire Hebrew scriptures, there is no instance of any Jewish man healed of leprosy. Therefore, the laws that were given regarding the healed leper, as far as we can tell, were never observed in the history of Israel. At least we don't have any record of any Jewish leper being healed and observing the command of Moses regarding the being cleansed of leprosy. We have Gentiles, like Naaman the Syrian. We have Miriam who's healed of leprosy, but that's before the law is given when they first come out of his, uh, from Egypt. But now Yeshua heals lepers. In one instance, he heals 10 of them. And what does Messiah tell them to do? Show yourself to the priest and offer the offering according to the law of Moses. What is Yeshua doing? He's telling him, I want the high priest of Israel authenticating my claims. Ten times the high priest is going to ask, were you truly a leper? 
and he'll authenticate his statement that he was a leper. He will say, are you really healed? And the leper will say, I am. And then the high priest must inspect him from head to toe. And then once inspected, the high priest would say he is clean and he would offer the required offering. Ten times the high priest is going to say, are, were you a leper? How were you cleansed? They're going to say, Yeshua made me clean. And ten times the high priest is going to say, you are clean. It was Yeshua's way of getting the high priest, the leader of Israel, to voice the Messiahship of Yeshua himself. When Messiah says here, the miracles that I perform testify of me. I think he's talking about miracles that the rabbis said the Messiah alone was to do. That would authenticate his claims. And now Yeshua says, look at those miracles, reflect deeply upon them because they testify of me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I am the Messiah whom you are looking for. Our third theme of Hanukkah is dedication. But to the Jewish people, it's not just the dedication of the temple. What the Jewish rabbis teach us is that not only do we rededicate a building, but Israel must rededicate herself if she's going to avoid such things like the desecration of her temple that she experienced in the past. If we do not walk faithfully before God, we will become an open prey to the nations of the world. And that's why we will be harmed by them. Messiah, by the way, says the very same thing. He says, I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And I say unto you, you shall not see me anymore until you shall say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What is Messiah telling them? He's telling them that if you don't embrace me as your Messiah, I'm not going to envelop you like a hen gathers her chicks. And if I do not envelop you like a hen gathers her chicks, the chicks run wild and they become prey to the people around them, the nations around them. Judgment will fall. Persecution will be experienced. And suffering will be the result. The Jewish people knew that. And so on Hanukkah, we not only remember the rededication of a building as important as the temple was, but more importantly, the rededication of ourselves to God. For if we don't walk with him, we will become an open prey to the peoples around us. For you and I, we will be an open prey to our enemy of our souls. We will be an open prey to that one who would seek to work us woe. And so we need to be mindful, Yeshua tells us, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He's talking about dedication to the Lord. The question then is, are we following the Lord? If we follow him, we will hear his voice. And if we hear his voice, we will have wisdom like Joseph, Solomon and others. And if we have wisdom, we'll live rightly and we'll respond rightly to God. And there's no other option. We either follow him, the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Messiah whom he has sent. We either follow him and thus hear his voice. And in hearing his voice, we give heed to his voice in obedience to him. And in obedience to him, we become a glory to the Lord and we become 
somewhat protected by the Lord as well. And so Messiah says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never, ever, under any circumstances, perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There is no greater protection than to be in the hands of the living God. There is no greater place to be than in the very presence of our Savior. And that's why on Hanukkah, he draws our attention to his Messiahship, his miraculous workings that authenticate his claims and make them trustworthy. And now the responsibility is upon us to respond rightly. So you are not here by accident this morning. You are here because God has led you here and he's led you to hear those words of his. Do not leave this morning without having so dedicated your life to God in this way. If you've never embraced Yeshua, do it today. Invite him into your life, and when you obey him, you'll learn of him. You may be saying, but I don't know all this Yeshua stuff. I mean, it just doesn't ring true. It doesn't make sense to me. We all were in that boat at one time. All of us, myself included, we all were there one time. It's when we step out in faith that God then makes himself known to us more and more. You step to him and he will welcome you. Scripture says, I not stand at the door and knock. He's knocking right now on your heart through his word. Open the door and wisdom will be received like these other men of God have experienced wisdom. If you have opened the door of your heart to the Lord at some time in the past, today is a great day for you to be thinking about rededicating your life afresh to the living God. I need to really walk with Him. I need to stop playing games with God and with my life as a result. I need to make him the kind of priority he deserves and he calls for. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We need to dedicate ourselves to that purpose, to love God like that, and to love Messiah like that. We all always need to grow in that. None of us arrives and can say, I do love him like that. But all of us know what our lives are like. And all of us know how there is a need to be more serious about our walk with him. I don't mean be more serious about life. We're to rejoice in the Lord. But we are to reverence and be in awe of the living God. It's a good time to dedicate ourselves afresh. And it may have, our lives may have become somewhat stained and made unclean. 
by whatever, much like the temple was made unclean. And now is the time to say, Lord, cleanse me. As the scripture says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May this Hanukkah be that kind of time for you and I. May we hear his voice. May we respond to his voice. And may we have the assurance that he knows us. He knows every one of us in the very depth of our core of our being. And yet he still knows us each by name. And that's because he loves each and every one of us. That's why he came. And that's why he demonstrated who he is by his miracles. And that's why he invites us to come to him. So let me take a moment to light the Hanukkah candles this morning. Um, we have the shamus, which is the servant candle that's used to light the others. As I light the candles, think about Messiah, who is the light of the world. Think about Messiah, who as the light of the world lights up our lives and our hearts, thus making us lights in a fallen world. And thus, as Messiah tells us, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.